0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Leanne Blons, and I'm coming to you from a kingdom just south of Rivendale and the Shire called Eagan, Minnesota. Our scripture for this morning is Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, and we'll be reading from the New International Version. One day, Peter and John were going into the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, When the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed As you can all see.
1: Thank you, Leanne, and good morning. Uh, thank you for joining us online. I think we've had a few technical glitches, but I'm pretty sure we're back up and running. So, just to review, we're in this short teaching series called Design to Make a Difference, and we're looking at how God has made us, how He has designed us for true life like meaningful lives filled with purpose and impact. And last week, we started with this idea of our identity, that God has made us a certain way to be and become. And this week, we look at what we have, what God has given us to live a life of impact. And so, as I thought about this, one of the things that I love to do is to hike and to camp. And there's certainly some real enjoyment on getting to go with a friend in their, their plush camper, getting to have homemade food, getting to have like rocking chair type of camping equipment, big bonfires, hammocks, every comfort that you need. There's also something pretty thrilling about putting everything you need into a small backpack and hiking your way through that camping. And so last year, my middle daughter and I we did a 4-day about 40-mile hiking trip and we had to carry everything we need and you got to be pretty selective about what you bring if you don't want 50 or 60 pounds on your back because that would be miserable so we made sure that we had the small sleeping small tent she said it was a little too small we had the compressible back uh sleeping bags, we had all of our food wrapped up, we knew exactly what we needed for food, we had our water purifier, we had our very small air mattresses, and we even got to pack, you know, a hammock, the cook set. I was pretty proud of us. I mean, I, we were very limited on the amount of stuff we had, so the more we can fit in our brain, the less we have to put on our back, as some special, you know, smart hiker said. However, If you forget something important, then you've really missed it. Because you can't just go back to the car or go back to the camper. You missed it. And this is in northern Minnesota where the mosquitoes are the size of Honda Civics and the black flies are about as ravenous as a pack of hungry wolves. And I forgot the bug spray. I mean... Of all the things to forget, we pull up the back. We're putting everything in our our tent or our the back in our backpacks in the trunk. And there's a little bottle of the uh, off skin tastic, which is the family scent, which means nothing. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't keep the bugs away at all. And so, even though we put it on, I believe, uh, actually, I know it wasn't effective. But I believe about 13 minutes into the hike, all of a sudden I hear my daughter. For the next two hours, I felt completely horrible. What do we need to bring with us? And what do we have all the time that is with us? See, the thing I want to key in on this story that we don't want to miss is when Peter says to the beggar who's lame from birth, I don't have any money when he asks for money, but I give you what I do have. What did he have? What was that thing that he brought with him that was essential to living this life of impact? So before you answer that, I want you to think about the person of Peter and the timeline and development of his life. So Peter is that finicky fisherman who doubts Jesus, who doubts what Jesus says, but then does it anyway. He's the guy who in anger or panic or frustration cuts off a temple guard's ear when Jesus is being arrested. He's the guy who's quick to speak. He's slow to listen and he is quick to get angry. Not exactly the way God calls us to be, but this is who he is. And yet in this story, he is calm composed, and collected. He boldly speaks to the crowds. He courageously calls out the religious leaders. Oh, and he heals a man who has been lame from birth in the name and authority of Jesus. Peter has something. And I I would say that he has something that we need. Now, later in his life, as he reflects on what he and I believe every other believer in Jesus has, he says this. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is written near the end of his life, 30, 35 years after this incident that Leanne read to us. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all this By coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these promises, these are the promises that enable us to, don't miss it, share in the divine nature, in his divine nature, in God's divine nature, and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has given you everything you need for living a godly life, for living in Christ, for sharing in God's divine nature, for living by the power of the Holy Spirit? See, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust him with your whole life, then a transformation has happened and is happening. You're being formed and conformed to the image of Jesus, not by your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you and I carry the same power that Jesus had. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and I will be with you always. We have that authority, but I think we live by one Of three options. The first option is seen in the life of the beggar. In the story we heard, there's this natural rhythm of of going to the temple for morning, afternoon, and evening prayers. And people who could pause work would stop, they would go to the temple, they would pray, and then they would go on with their day. And in this story, it says that the beggar is lame from birth, which we would say is not his own fault is likely not the fault of his parents. But remember the religious leaders, when they saw a blind man from birth, their question was, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So there's this thought that you did something wrong or your parents did something wrong if you had a physical defect. Not true, but this is what was known at the time. And so he would be carried to the temple at this particular entrance day after day week after week, week, to beg for mercy and money as people walked up the stairs and into the temple. Now, we don't know if he was carried three times a day right before those prayers to the temple or if he was left there in the morning, had to sit in the sun all day, and was picked up at sunset. But what we do know is he's at the mercy of other people's generosity and other people's kindness. Essentially, he was living by other People's power. What does it look like to live by other people's power? Certainly, when we're a young child and when we're very old, we are dependent on others to care for us. But I believe there are other times as well. For example, if you're a student right now, then you're at the mercy of your teachers and your professors needing to do whatever they tell you. And actually, if you're a teacher right now, you might feel for the first time since you started teaching in your profession, the power that principals and superintendents and school boards have over you. Maybe you're in a relationship where you're desperately trying hard to please that person, and yet you just can't seem to. Well, you're actually living under their power. And my black and brown friends tell me that they feel a sense of living under other people's power when they drive more than an an hour outside of the metro area where there's less and less people who look like them. And maybe you're a person who really likes to shrink back from making decisions or take responsibility or you don't like to be held accountable. Well, then you think it's freedom, but you're actually living by someone else's power. See, like the man sitting on the steps of the temple, if you live by someone else's power, you're always going to be begging. You're never going to have enough, and you're always going to be wondering if other people will come through for you. I think it is an option for how to live, but it's a stressful and anxious way to live. And we can see it As the way this guy wouldn't even look at Peter and John when they stopped to see him and ask him to look at them. He was so busy looking at the other people, trying to make sure he could get something from someone. Again, it's not just him. I think some of you are there too. So that's the first option, living by someone else's power. What about the second option? I think the second option is seen in our culture today when we say take the bull by the horns or seize the day or or go after your destiny. It's this idea that we can start to believe that life is about living by our own power. See, when Peter and John heal the man, the crowds are amazed at the power they possess. And that's why Peter needed to say, people of Israel, what is so surprising to you about this? And why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? See, the crowd assumed that they had the power. If option one is living by, your own, living by someone else's power, option two is living by your own power. That's what the crowds assume, and it's what the religious leaders knew. They knew it was all about power. You have to read all of chapter 3 and most of chapter 4 to figure that out, but these religious leaders have this appetite for power. You can tell they're eager for power because they're always asking questions about power. They're always checking to see if someone has permission to do something. They grasp at control and they aren't sure what to do when someone when they don't have it they're used to power they know how to get power and they're desperate to keep their power now what is it like for you and I to live by our own power i mean in one sense you do feel like you're in control like you can make your own choices that will open doors and create opportunities you feel like you're in charge of your destiny But in another sense, I believe each of us know our power is limited. And we're always wondering, maybe even worrying about when it's going to run out. When you live by your own power, you're always concerned about protecting it and keeping it. And you're always wondering if it's going to be enough. And you're never quite sure When you're going to meet someone or something that will overpower you. I think it's safe to say that 2020 is that thing. I mean, like Pete said, there's been natural disaster after national crisis, after international pandemic. So many of us feel overpowered by 2020, whether we believe in Jesus or not. We feel out of control we feel like we lack power we're desperate from so, some sort of comfort or normalcy and i wonder if comfort and normalcy are just other forms of power that can make us feel sufficient in ourselves so that's the first two options but i would say the third option is presented in this story in acts 3 and it's the power It's the desire and the decision to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our association of churches calls this a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. I call it a spirit-saturated life. We celebrated baptisms at the end of August, and this past week, one of our students was baptized at the beach with family and friends. And what I loved about that wasn't just the sincerity of her decision and how she talked about it, but it was going out in the water with her grandpa, who's a pastor, and seeing her get drenched and shiver from head to toe with the water of the beach, because you knew in that moment exactly what had happened. She was covered and saturated from head to toe in that water, just like I think God wants us to be saturated in his Holy Spirit from head to toe. Now, the Bible's filled with vivid descriptions of, and and not only vivid descriptions, but personal examples of what it looks like to live filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I want to focus on the examples in this story because I think they'll give us direction and application. As we look at Acts 3 and what happened with Peter and John, we can see that as they lived empowered by the Spirit, they could discern the true needs of people. And if we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we live this Spirit-saturated life, God will give us the ability to discern the true needs of people. I mean, Peter and John... John didn't just glance at this man. It says that they looked intently at him and they asked him to look intently at him, at them. And what were, what were they looking for? Were they looking for a sincere spirit that was ready to receive? Were they looking at a broken heart or a heart that was hurting or stuck, who needed to be moved and healed? There is something that is incredibly human About this superhuman encounter. It's something that honestly in our world today we are missing in huge ways. There is face-to-face deep connection. There is physical touch. Peter reaches out his hand and picks up the man. Yes there is supernatural healing but it all happens in the context of a very human encounter. We can't miss that, friends. If you live by the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to take every opportunity that God gives you to have that face-to-face, deep encounter, possibly even with a physical touch with people that are hurting. Not only does the Spirit-saturated life help us to discern the needs of people, But the Spirit-saturated life gives us the ability to boldly ask God for what people need. To boldly ask God for what people need. They didn't just discern by the power of the Spirit that this man needed healing from Jesus more than money. Peter and John saw something more. That They needed something more than that. And a side note, when we don't live the Spirit-saturated life, we settle for much less physical needs, societal needs, relational needs, but not the spiritual healing that only Jesus can give. There's a story where Jesus meets this woman at a well in John 4 and she's coming to get water and Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's not just a kind of a mysterious statement. I believe that in the same way that Jesus has something to offer us that goes beyond our physical needs. Yes, our physical needs are important, but our spiritual restoration with God is even more important. We can see it in in the way that this um, story is set. The beggar is outside of the temple. You'll see a picture on the screen of this temple and there's this gate right at the front of the temple called the beautiful gate and I'm I'm sure it was beautiful it was outlaid in gold but that gate was also a barrier in fact there was an inscription nearby that said this I think we'll have this on the screen too but I honestly can't read it I needed the translator no person of any other race may enter within the barrier around the temple and its surrounding enclosure. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Talk about hospitality. So there's this temple mount and all around the temple that people could move and, and gather, but then there's this small... I'll call it stone fence, this small barrier. It's not, it's not very high. One could step over it, but no one from, that wasn't Jewish could step over that. Well, this beggar was actually Jewish, so he could step over that little barrier, step over it. He actually could be carried over it. But then, once they go up onto this little platform, then there are stairs going up to the temple, and the temple is covered in huge walls. And so even though he was Jewish, he could go up on the steps, but because he was lame, he had this physical defect, they assumed that it was sin, and they wouldn't let him in the temple. Notice the irony? The temple is the place where people get right with God, and they get close to God, and yet he wasn't allowed inside. Maybe you know the hurt of being not invited to that group or not making that team, or not getting into that club, or heaven forbid, walking into a church and not feeling good enough to be there. I think this man felt this rejection every single day. See, I think it's amazing that he's healed, and I think it's hilarious that he jumps up and down and and starts praising God and hangs on to Peter and John, and that is all just a picture in my mind of celebration. But don't miss that in the story, it says that he does that inside the temple. See, the outcast has been let in. The one who's been excluded and ignored is finally included and invited in. That, friends, is new life. That's what Jesus offers us when we say yes to him and when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't just get into something, we get new life. The power of the Holy Spirit heals inside and outside. It heals relationally and spiritually. It heals physically and socially. Because when you're saturated in the Holy Spirit, you can boldly ask God for what other people need. But we don't stop there. If we are saturated in the Spirit, we generously give glory to Jesus. Peter and John were quick to deflect that praise to Jesus. They knew it wasn't their power or godliness, so they passed that praise on to Jesus. They knew that it was God and that God did it to give glory to Jesus. So at Restoration, we say uh, one of our values is serving humbly. And we don't mean serving secretively or serving silently. What we mean is when we're generous with others, we're quick to give the praise to Jesus. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be a long explanation. It can simply be if, someone, if you do something nice for someone, if you're generous with someone, and they say thank you to you, you don't say thank you back. You say, God has blessed me, and because of him, I want to bless you. It can be that easy. But we pass the praise on to Jesus because he's the one who changes our life, and he's the one who can change their lives. And finally, I think what we see in this story is that a spirit-saturated life never quits in the face of opposition. It never quits in the face of opposition. At the conclusion of this story, the religious leaders who were living ultimately by their own power suddenly realized what living by the power of the Spirit is like. And they say in Acts four thirteen and 14, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were ordinary, unschooled men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And when they saw the beggar, the lame man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now really, there was. They made threats and they told them to stop using the name of Jesus and Peter and John said, do you think we're going to obey you or obey God? What do you think is right? As for us, we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. These are the same people that ordered Jesus' death. The very same power brokers. And Peter and John stand up to them as if they're nothing. That's what a spirit-saturated life does. It's not arrogance. It's not bold, brazen self-confidence. It is confidence in the spirit. It is it is assuredness and a faithfulness in who God is in the power that He's given us. We carry that everywhere we go. So on day two of our hike, my daughter and I had made it a little over 10 miles, and we woke up and she counted over 57 bug bites. And I seriously thought about quitting and turning around. I told her how sorry I was that I didn't bring the right kind of bug spray. And she said something like, it's okay, Dad. I brought pants. See, in that moment, she knew what she had. She didn't need everything. She just needed one thing. And we made it through. And you and I have the same power. If we have the Holy Spirit, then we have the one thing we need. We don't need everything. We don't have to worry about forgetting something. See, if you have the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have everything you need. The power of the Spirit is with you, guiding you, convicting you, equipping you, and encouraging you. But you also have prayer. You can talk to God at any time, for any reason, in any place. Not only do you have the Holy Spirit in prayer, you have people You have other believers in Jesus to walk with, to help you, to guide you, to encourage you, and to go along the way with you. And finally, you have God's word. You have his written and spoken word available to you at any times if you will look and listen for it. And when we have this, when we understand that that this power goes with us everywhere we go, all of a sudden we can live beyond ourselves. Think about the times we're in, the election phobic, the pandemic, the racial injustice and tension, and the power of the spirit that we need for peace, for courage, for freedom, not just for ourselves, but for others. See, when you have the power of the Spirit, you sense the direction from God. You can acknowledge the Spirit's presence in your life. You can listen for the Spirit. You can yield to Him. So friends, in this time of uncertainty, I pray that you would see yourselves as sailors on a ship. And we're all together in it. And the wind is like the Holy Spirit that blows. And we listen and we adjust our sails and we move with him. And when you are a good sailor, you can go with the wind. You can go across the wind. You can go against the wind. The wind becomes your power. And your direction is from God. The Spirit is the one who's convicting us. So we don't need to convict others. The Spirit is the one that's guiding us into all truth, so we don't have to search anxiously for truth. And the Spirit is the one who equips us with his gifts to build up the church and the body of Christ for the good and glory of God. See, when you have the power of the Spirit, you don't have to worry about making sure you're prepared for every single situation that could arise in your home or your work or your life, you have the peace, the power, and the presence of the Spirit to equip you and direct you in those situations. Not so that you'll have more power, but so that you can show and share the love of Jesus. So as the band comes up, I would just like you to ask Jesus, what is the healing that I need in my life right now? Jesus, where Either do I feel excluded or where are others being excluded? And how can I reach out a hand and invite them in? God, I want to bring hope and healing to those around me and I can't do it on my own, but God, you are the one who can do it. I trust you in my life. I ask that you would live through me in a way that is obvious. God, in a way that saturates from head to toe. God, anyone who's, who can hear my voice today, I pray that you would give them a peace that would pass all understanding, that they would not have to be anxious about anything, but they could ask for what they need from you. They could thank you for all you have done. God, I pray for courage. I pray for a courage and a boldness to go into places of opposition, to go into places of uncertainty, to go into places of fear, and to be peace and to be kindness for those around them to bring light and love. God, we don't do it for our glory and we certainly don't do it in our power. We do it for your glory and we do it by your power. Strengthen us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.